So today, uh, well, we're still on our series of culture wars. As you can see, it's been quite an interesting topic, don't you think? Sorry, this is going to annoy me. Alright, <laughs> um, it's quite an interesting topic, um, don't you think? We've had lots of controversial talks, lots of controversial conversations over this time. But I think it's really good because if you can't talk about these things in the church, then where else are you going to get your information from? It's going to be from Google and it's going to not be some great stuff. So today I'm talking on the topic of pride and specifically um, relating to LGBT, HIJK, LMNOP um, stuff, but there's too many letters now, honestly, it just keeps going. Um, but I'm dividing, but I'm also going to go broad on this topic because I think this is something that actually relates to all of us. Um, I'm actually splitting this topic into two areas, so I'm talking about this again next month, but the reason for that is because this issue, they like to group all the letters together, but it's actually two different issues because you've got one issue of sexuality and one issue of gender identity and they're two very different things and they actually don't come under the same umbrella even though they're put there. So we are going to talk about pride, specifically about the LGBT kind of area today. Um, and I really want to talk about this and I think this is something that we really need to be all over this, um, especially because it's the indoctrination, it's the ideology of today, it's the thing that's so widely celebrated. Um, I want to be clear before I start is that this is not a criticism of people. God loves people. This is a criticism of an ideology that is ruining people. And because um, I want to know, I want you to know, God loves all people, no matter how they identify, Romans 10, 13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So everyone, no matter how they identify, no matter what their sexuality, they can all have an opportunity to turn towards Jesus and receive salvation. So that is the good news of the Gospel. I know pride has been in the media a lot lately. It's literally everywhere. Disney has it. Children's TV shows. Parents, be careful of the wiggles. It is not safe anymore. Maybe if you go back to the old stuff, but the wiggles has now been indoctrinated as ideology. The wiggles have been showing up to the pride parades for the last, I don't know how many years. Um, I actually follow the wiggles on Facebook so I can keep up with what's going on there. Um, but yeah, no, they've been showing up. They are in the pride parade. They've been there for multiple years. They've got uh, non-binary characters on their show now and all this kind of stuff. So you've got to be careful what you're showing your kids. You've got to be careful. I just want to put that as a side note because literally nothing is safe anymore. Um, you really need to go back to old school VeggieTales if you want to sit your kids in front of something that you don't have to screen. <laughs> but, um, you know, and and so that's, that's really careful because they're using so many things. Um, we've seen Pride a lot because Pride Month was in June. You've probably seen every single business change their logo to the rainbow flag. Um, you probably heard about the Manly Seven. You're probably living under a rock if you didn't hear about the Manly Seven that were told they had to wear the pride jersey for their game. And those um, guys that refused um, to wear the jersey and were, um, had to not sit out of the game because of it. And then it was all over the news. And obviously we had Israel Folau a couple of years who spoke out against this and lost his career. So it's just a full on, um, it's just crazy, it's everywhere. But I just really wanna speak about this because especially I believe for the stance for a lot of these brave Christians that have stood up and have had been vilified in the media for their stances, I believe it's not just the issue of 
you know, um, we believe that marriage is between a male and a female um, to the exclusion of all others for life. I believe it's not just for that one issue, but I actually believe it's the very heart of this issue is the celebration of pride that is what's getting these people more than anything that makes them so want to stand against this. Because how can the, the, how can the enemy enemy be any more obvious, the celebration of pride, the celebration of pride, the thing that God hates the most. You know what it says in Proverbs 6, verse 16 to 17? It says, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to Him. And the first thing listed, a proud look, pride. God hates pride. It is an abomination to Him. James 4 verse 6 says that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 16, 18 says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 10 verse 4 says the wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. It is pride that God hates because pride says I know better than God. Pride says I am God of my life. And that's the issue that we want to talk about and we really want to face today. And and this is the thing I find that gets a lot of Christians when we talk about this area of, of sexuality and things like that, especially when we're talking about gay and lesbian and bisexual and all that kind of thing, is a lot of people are scared to step into that arena because they think that it is wrong that we should say that that is a sin. And they think that's wrong. When I say, when you say, if it's in the Bible and the Bible says it's wrong, but then you say, oh no, it's okay. What you're saying is that you are more just than God, that you are more compassionate than God. That is an issue of pride in your heart, that you can't accept something that the Bible says because because you just don't like it. You know, we are in a culture war of good versus evil. People are not the evil that we are fighting. We do not fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And I can't remember the rest of it, but it's the enemy that we are fighting. It is not, it's in the spiritual, in the supernatural that we are fighting the battle. People are not the enemy. It's these ideologies, it's this spirit, it's this attitude that we are fighting, this darkness. And we are fighting a battle for truth. Therefore, we cannot just say we love unless we also speak truth. We have to hold both grace and truth, both love and truth. Lisa Vivier says that, I love this quote, I quote it all the time, but it's truth without love is harsh, but love without truth is a lie. Love without truth is a lie. And why does the armour of God have a belt of truth? Because truth is what holds everything together. Truth holds everything together. It's the thing that secures. You know what a belt did in the armour is it held the weapons. So the belt of truth holds the sword of the Spirit. It holds our weapon, the Word of God. You know what also had they had um, in Roman times, their uniform that he had been talking about, it had these leather straps that used to hang off of, these thick straps that used to hang off the front and it would protect the very vulnerable areas for the men when they were fighting. But this is what I'm thinking of when the belt of truth, the truth protects the vulnerable areas of our life. The truth is really important because without the truth, you are left vulnerable to attack. You've got nothing to hold on to, nothing to stand on, nothing to hold your life together. So truth is really, really important. God's way and His Word is best. His way is supreme. So to win this war, we first need to humble ourselves 
before God. We need the grace of God on our lives and it starts with looking at ourselves. We, if we wanna understand this issue, if we wanna understand how to handle this issue in both a way that is loving and truthful, that reflects the heart of God, then it starts with number one, humbling yourself. Humbling yourself. And why do we need to humble ourselves is because pride. It was the original sin. So let's take a look at some Bible history for us. We're gonna go to Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 to 15. And it says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the furthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to, I can never say this right, shoal, um, to the lowest depths of the pit. So the original sin, why did Satan get thrown out of heaven? Because of pride. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to be God. He said, I will exalt myself to the most high. He didn't humble himself in the presence of the almighty God, creator of everything and worship at his feet. He said, no, I want that worship. I want to be God. I want that power. And he was thrown out of heaven for it. And so then what did he do? He has a life mission to destroy all our lives in the exact same way. Genesis 3, verse 1 to 4, we look in the Garden of Eden. Everything was great. Everything was perfect. And then it says, then the serpent came. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, actually, I just want to go back to that. That's a question. That's questioning God. And like I was saying before, this is why Christians have problems in this area because instead of accepting the Word of God and believing it, they question it with the standards of the world. They question why and what. And it's okay to ask questions, but I'm saying they're doubting what God's Word said and, and manipulating it and wanting it a different way. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So that was the temptation. If you eat this fruit, then you will be like God. If you eat this fruit, you will be like God. You can become God of your own life. You can know everything that God knows. You can live life your own way. And she saw that it was good and she ate it. And then look where we are now. <laughs> and also Adam ate it. And yeah, it was, it was a not fun time. But this is the thing, the same reason Satan was thrown out of heaven, the same sin, the same evil is exactly what led to our demise, is the issue of pride, of wanting to be like God, of exalting ourselves. But God calls us to humble ourselves. It says He um, gives grace to the humble. We desperately need God and we cannot do this life on our own. John 15, 5 tells us that actually without Jesus, we can do nothing. Psalm 103 verse 14 says that we are dust. We are literally dust. We are nothing without Him. We are so insignificant. But pride likes to tell us that it's a different way than that, but it's not. We desperately need God and we need to come humbly before Him. So when we talk about this, looking at the LGBT issues, 
A problem that happens and why it's been handled so poorly by Christians is, is this issue of pride. We've said to people who are same-sex attracted that you are the worst of sinners. We have said that you can't come into the church unless you clean up your act first. We've said you can't come to Jesus when you feel that way, when you live that way. Until you're cleaned up, you're not welcome here. That's what the church has actually said to people. And I'm not saying every single person in the church, but I really believe there has been a huge issue with that, with people not being able to deal with that properly and, been saying, and saying that to people, giving off that impression, you are not welcome until you fix that in your life. But newsflash, in the words of the great philosopher Hannah Montana, <laughs> nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has those days you know that song. Um, But we all have struggles and issues that we face. We all do. And I think Christians can be so off-putting because we can present this image like our life is perfect and we have it all together. We can be so off-putting, especially in the area of sexuality, because we like to say we're pure and perfect. We like to say we we don't mess up in this. And we So many people turn up their nose at the idea of people being in a same-sex relationship while at the same time privately watching pornography in the safety of their home where no one else can see. You know, American stats from Covenant Eyes says that 68% of church-going men view porn on a regular basis. 18 to 24-year-old Christians, um, 76% of 18 to 24-year-old Christians actively search for porn. 13% of self-identified Christian women say they've never watched porn. Only 13%. What does the Bible say about this then? One of the Ten Commandments is do not commit adultery. But Jesus goes even further than that in Matthew 5.28 because He says that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So that means for all of those people, those big statistics of people Watching pornography, you have committed adultery in your heart. You are sexually sinful. And if we take the stats of porn and then we add in all the people who don't watch porn, but have looked at someone lustfully in their life, we've covered everyone. We've covered everyone, everyone. That's right, no one is pure. And if you say you've been 100% perfect in this area, then you've got some serious pride you've got to deal with because you're just denying the truth of the reality, the issue in your life that you need to bring before God. And why am I starting with this and saying this is because I want to even the playing field when we get into this topic is we need to humble ourselves before we approach this topic to realise we are all sinners. Romans 3.23 says, for we have all sinned. We have all sinned and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. I have quite a few friends and regular acquaintances who identify in the LGBTQ plus community. And I just want to pause there for a second because I just want to say for people out there, if you are a Christian and you don't have non-Christian friends in your life, you're not doing Christianity right. Because how can we do, fulfil the Great Commission? How can we go into all the world and make disciples of all nations if we just stay in a Christian cluster and we never interact with the world? Like, how can we do that? And I'm not saying like Jesus' closest friends were believers, but he spent every day of his life interacting with people who needed to know God, who needed healing, who needed restoration. And that's what our life should be. If you don't have those people in your life, go and get some. 
go and get some because that is our job is to go into all the world. And so, I, yeah, I have quite a few friends in this community and, and uh, there's one in particular that we've been, we'd been friends for a couple of years and what happened, and, and it was all fine, it was all going smooth sailing, we hang out, we go to parties together, hang out at different events, all the stuff. She was always included in our social gatherings and whatnot. And then one day, um, this photo I had came up on Facebook and she saw it and she messaged, and it was with a well-known um, personality who speaks out a lot on these issues. And she saw this photo and she messaged me straight away and said, hey, we can't be friends anymore. And I'm really hurt by this photo that you've put up because I think this is what it means and that, you know, I've been hurt by, you know, Christians and, and what they've said and, and that you don't accept me. And she just had this idea of what I thought about it based on that. She said, I'm just, yeah, I'm too hurt by this. I'm not talking to you anymore. And so that was really awkward as well because... I had to see them most days of the week. Um, and this went on for nine months where we had cross paths almost every day and, and she would just didn't want to talk to me. She, she would ignore me. I'd try to smile, try whatever, but just didn't want to have anything to do with me. And so that was, that was really hard because we didn't get to have an actual conversation to talk that out. But it was really good is one day that she came to me and, um, and, and reached out to me, messaged me about nine months later, nine months of this going on, and said, hey, um, hey can we, be, can we be, be friends again? And I was like, yes, yes, of course we can be friends again. And then she said, oh, but firstly, um, I want you to answer a question for me. Um, gay marriage, yes or no? And I was like, well, you know what? Let's go have a coffee. Let's go talk about this. I'm going to take you out and we'll have a chat about this. And so I took this friend out and, and bought her a coffee and we sat down and we were there for two hours and we talked through this issue together. And what was amazing is about this is I was able to share the message of the gospel with her. I was able to sit there and actually say a few things. That being same-sex attracted is different to homosexuality. There's attraction and then there's action. It's like the difference between you can like something, or you can be interested in something, but you cannot give into temptation. You cannot choose to linger on that and lust after that, and you can choose not to act on that. So I'd say, well, when the Bible condones homosexuality, it's talking about practice, and it's talking about heart intention, like we talked about, looking at someone with lust and committing adultery. I said, secondly, um, is that God is concerned with our heart, and if God is concerned with our heart, then I said, then I am guilty too. And God does not, and I was able to look at her and say, God does not look at what I've done and what you've done and think it's any different. So the only difference between you and me is that I have received salvation with Jesus Christ and He's forgiven my sins and wiped my slate clean. But otherwise, you and me, we're both sinners and we're both doomed without Jesus. <laughs> and and uh, He's forgiven me and you can have that too. And she was like, wow, are you serious? You're a sinner too? And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm just exactly the same. We're all the same person. She's like, oh, well, that makes me feel so much better. <laughs> and we were able to become friends and, and I was able to continue on and share the gospel. I talked to her, we were there, yeah, like I said, for two hours from Genesis to Revelation and just share the whole story. And, you know, she was like, I'm not ready to like receive that or go there yet. And I said, well, you know what? I'm here. I'm not leaving. I'm going to be around. So um, she's an atheist and, and doesn't believe in any of that stuff, but you know, and we're, we're friends now and I'm just getting to be involved in her life. But what I think is so 
important is that you don't have to deny the reality of the gospel. I was able to say, actually, this is a sin, you know, just like, but I was able to say, it's just like this, that and the other. It's just like adultery. It's just like watching pornography. It's just like all of these things, having sex outside of marriage, they're all the same. And God sees them all the same and they are all wrong in His eyes. They're all outside of God's standard, God's sexual ethic. And we have all sinned and we've all fallen short. However, God redeems us. And when we live our life for Jesus, He becomes Lord of our life and He helps us to live in a way that is pure and holy and righteous and to not live in that sin anymore. So we don't have, yeah, so we can speak truth and we can speak it in love. And I was able to tell as well, as like, you are my friend and that's not gonna change regardless of what you believe and what you decide to do. So, um, but if you want to follow Jesus, you know what? Come talk to me. We can, we can do this. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so indulging in temptations is really where sin lies. And I, and I want to really hone in on this point because, you know, you may even be sitting here with that issue of pride and saying, it's not me. I'm completely pure. I'm completely clean in this area. But... Um, I want to ask you, have you ever had your parents interviewed for some, um, you know, should we interview your parents before you come to church to ask if you've always honoured and always obeyed them? Should we, you know, should we ask if you've ever shoplifted or have you ever stolen your sister's shampoo or if you've ever, <laughs> you know, stolen some money from someone's wallet or stolen something out of someone's closet, you know, because then you've, you've, you've stolen, you know, or you've disobeyed your parents. These are commandments too. Have you ever skipped a Sabbath? That's in the Ten Commandments as well. I think we're all guilty of that one, aren't we? You know, are we going to start interviewing people about their list of sins before they come into church? Just because some are more obvious than others, you know, it doesn't mean any is any worse than the other. God has a whole list of commandments and we all fall short. So let's actually, we need to start opening up the doors, humbling ourselves, humbling our heart and actually going, no, these doors should be open for anyone that wants to come in because we're all sinners and we all need Jesus. We all need His grace. And some people's issues are going to be more obvious than others, but we're all walking through it. If someone's coming here, they're saying, hey, I actually want to know about Jesus. I want to know about, I want to know this stuff. I want to get to know that. And that could mean that they sit in church for five years before they get a revelation of Christ and their life has changed. You know what? That's okay because they're on a journey. But we can't sit back and say, you are not welcome because your life is not fixed. You don't clean yourself before you get in the shower. You get in the shower to clean yourself. So you've got to get in the presence of God for your life to be changed and transformed. In humility, we connect with others. So we need to start by humbling ourselves. The second thing is we need to show compassion. I want to introduce you to this book because this book changed my life. It's called People to be Loved, Why Homosexuality is Not Just an Issue by Preston Sprinkle. And this book um, I found when one of my best friends came out, um, one of my best friends from school came out as lesbian at, at the end of school. And I was like, I don't know how to deal with this. Because all my thoughts about it before was just the Bible condemns it. That's kind of it. So now I'm like, I don't know how to relate to you. I had no idea. But like, um, and, and like most Christians, yeah, my thoughts just stopped that homosexuality, homosexuality is a sin. But when I read this book, I understand so more. He's really, really good. He's a Christian scholar, so he's got all the biblical stuff, all the history, all this explanation. So he's right on the money. But at the same time, he looks at it from a very compassionate view where he actually interviewed people and told the stories 
of what's going on, where we're not just looking at this as just an issue in black and white, but we're looking at this as people. We need to show compassion. I was in tears reading this book because I read the story of this, this young girl who said, I chose to be lesbian because I was raped by my father for so many years of my life and brutally beaten by him. I vowed I would never let a man touch me again. Like, can you look at someone like that in the eyes and say, you know, what you're doing is dirty and disgusting. You're a horrible person. Can you look at someone who's been through that? That's like, you are a horrible person if that's what you say to someone. We need to show compassion. You don't know where people are coming from. The statistics around this, and I'm not going to go through all of that, but if you want to come to me later, I've got reports I can show you and share with you. But the statistics around this is that so many people in this community have experienced childhood sexual abuse, have experienced childhood physical abuse. A lot of time, most of the time from their parents or people that they really loved and admired in their life, they've been rejected a lot of time by people of the same sex that they're looking up to as a mentor or a father or mother figure in their life looking for that love and acceptance, and they don't get it. Instead, they get abuse, and so they look to that, um, that same sex in, in other areas of life and relationships and stuff subconsciously to fill that void and to fill that need that they never got where they were supposed to, where they were supposed to experience the most love in their family, they got rejected, betrayed, and hurt. And, and this is the same with the... the um, so many people as well, there's so many stories of people who grew up in Christian families and started experiencing same-sex attraction. And when they tried to speak to someone about it, they just got completely rejected. They got um, chucked out of church. They got kicked out of their family. There's so many stories of things like that as well. Instead of actually, you know what, we love you and we're going to help you through this struggle. Let's, let's, let's work through this together. You are still welcome. You are still accepted. And we're going to work through this because Jesus can redeem this. Jesus can help you with this temptation. And we'll talk about that later. But there was so much shame and so much hurt um, surrounding this community with these issues. It's like we have to approach this with such great compassion because you don't know what people are going through. You don't know what people's experiences are. You don't know why people are the way they are. And compassion doesn't condone sin, but compassion is helping people through it. I want to read... John 8, verse 1 to 11, we look at how Jesus responds to sin with compassion. And so it says, Now early in the morning he came into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, the, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? They said this testing him that he might have, um, have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who's without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So the one person who could throw a stone didn't. The only person who was at sin who could throw the stone didn't. He had compassion for her. He wanted to... Jesus wanted to help people out of their issues, not stand there and shame them and berate them for it, 
but help them out of their issues, bring them out of their dysfunction, out of their sin. You know, we have to have compassion on all people. Compassion loves people in their sin and helps lead them to healing and restoration. The word compassion, if we look at the way that it's used in the Bible and the, and the Bible definitions, it's a form of love that is aroused within us when we are confronted with those who suffer or are vulnerable. Compassion often produces action to alleviate the suffering. The Hebrew and Greek means to show pity, to love, to show mercy, to show concern for, to be tender-hearted and to act kindly. When we see the word compassion in the Bible, we always see an action following it. In Matthew 14, verse 14, we see that Jesus went to be by himself, but a crowd found out where he was. They came to find him. And when he saw them, he was moved with compassion and he healed the sick. That was the action that followed it. Matthew 20, there was two blind men who called out to Jesus to heal them. And then Jesus had compassion for them and healed them. Luke 7, the widow's only son was being carried out of the city because, she had di- because he had died. So she has no husband. Her son has just died. Especially in that time, that is a very awful situation to be in. She would have had nothing. She would have gone into poverty. Her son would have been her only hope and he had died. And Jesus saw that woman and looked at her with compassion and he actually raised the boy back to life. Mark 6 verse 34, Jesus had crowds come to him and it says they, that he saw they were like sheep without a shepherd and he was moved with, with compassion. So he began to teach them. So our greatest compassion should be felt for those who don't know Jesus. We don't need to look with the eyes of judgment, but come with arms, open arms to embrace them. You are welcome here should be what people know of this. They are welcome here. Everyone is welcome here. They can come and learn and get to know Jesus and have their life transformed by Him. The church has got to be the number one place where same-sex attracted people belong. It's got to be the number one place where all people belong. And we don't have to come to be, per- we don't have to be perfect to come to God, but Romans 2 verse 4 tells us it's actually the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's His goodness. It's His kindness. It's His love despite our sin. It's His kindness despite, you know, just all the awful things we do and the bad attitudes of our heart and the fact we keep stuffing up. But it's that goodness and that kindness of God that leads us to repentance and wanting to live a transformed life. So let so where there's been this group, this, these pride parades, this LGBT community, it is a strong community now, even though it's still small, it is a strong community. You know why? Because people are looking to belong. They're looking for family. Why are we not those people? We need to be those people. They shouldn't be running to that community to find that love and acceptance. They should be running here to find that hope, to find that family. This should be the place that they belong. So let this be, let's change that and let this be that place. And the third thing is we need to speak the truth. So we need to show compassion, but we need to speak the truth. So what's really important about this story, and it frustrates me so much, because when that story about the woman caught in adultery gets told, oftentimes what happens is everyone stops at, neither do I condemn you. And they go, yes, see, Jesus just let her off the hook. No, he didn't. What did he say? Go and sin no more. He didn't say, I accept you in your sin. I, I, I like, accept your sin. I embrace it. It's fine. You're all good. Go as you were. No, no, no. He says, go and sin no more. So there's truth and compassion go hand in hand. Compassion is what helps lifts that person off the ground and says, okay, let's keep going. Let's try this again. But I'm still going to speak truth to you. Is it still the wrong thing? You are still living in sin. 
But you know what? It's okay. We're going to do this together. We're going to get through this. You can go and sin no more. We can't be all love and we can't be all truth. We have to be both. Because the truth sets people free. We know this. What the Bible says is, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Will set you free. And how relieving is it to know that you don't have to be perfect, but that you have a good God who loves you, forgives you, empowers you with His grace and the Holy Spirit to live a life for Him. So God calls us to a life of righteousness and holiness, to be in right standing with Him, to be set apart for Him. And, and the truth is, one of those things that He says about sin and sexual sin in particular is to flee from it, as in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18, flee from sexual sin. So He's not saying, oh, because I love you and accept you as you are, you can just stay in that. No, He's saying you need to flee from it. You need to get it out of your life. You need to run from that. And if we look about what the Bible says about homosexuality, there's Leviticus 18.22 that says, You shall not laugh with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Romans 1 verse 26 to 27. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 to 11, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. But I love this verse 11, and such were some of you. So there is room for redemption, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And I love that scripture because it talks about so much sexual sin in there as well, but it's saying such were some of you. He's talking to an audience and saying, some of you were that way, but you were washed. So there is redemption and there is hope for everyone. That is the truth. There's two, there's truth that we need to say both parts. It's not that justice is sin, but there is redemption for you, that there is grace for you, that there is still hope for you, that God can actually redeem your life from where it is by the Spirit of God. The Bible is clear that the sexual sins are committed in actions and attitudes of the heart. And if you are practising homosexuality, just as if you are practising adultery, or if you are lusting, then you have committed a sexual sin. The attraction is temptation. God did not give you, but we also need to look at this as well, because a lot of people say born this way. And I want to be very careful with that is, yes, you were born into sin. So you're going to have sinful desires. And that can be one of them. But we need to be careful that we don't look at God made me this way. Because... God did not give you sinful desires. That would make him an unjust God. Because if God gave you a sinful desire and then condemned it, how does that make him a just God? That would be so unjust, wouldn't it? That would be totally against his nature. He cannot, he cannot make you one way and then say, well, you know what? I made you that way. You can't help it. You can't do anything about it. But I'm condemning you know, I'm condemning who you are. I'm condemning everything about that you need to change. You know, that's, that's not just. But we do have sin and God says He can redeem us from that. And we do need to have, understand that there are many factors that make it incredibly difficult to change, to resist, just like any temptation. And I'm sure many of you can look at your life and go, this is an area in my life that I really, really struggle to get over or I'm still struggling with now. So we need to look at it in the exact same way. It is a struggle. It is a temptation. It is something that some people will work through for the rest of their lives. And like Jesus, though, we need to love people in their sin, but love them enough to speak the truth. 
I love um, a former uh, uh, a woman who's uh, same-sex attracted named Jackie Hill Perry. Um, she's also got a book I read. It was a very um, good read. And she talks about this. I love this quote from her, though. She says, The fruit of the Spirit isn't heterosexuality. It's self-control. It's self-control. There's nothing in the Bible that says, you know, when you get the Holy Spirit, you become straight. <laughs> it doesn't say that. That's not a fruit of the Spirit that God produces in you. What He produces in you is self-control. So if you have temptations and you have things in your life that you struggle with, well, the Holy Spirit, when you give in to that, when you surrender to God, His work in your life produces fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self Control. So you have that ability to be able to resist that. You have the ability to get that temptation, to get that attraction, to get those things under control, just like any other sexual sin. You're not godly because you're straight. You are godly when you are filled with the Holy Spirit and the fruits of Spirit, the Spirit are produced in your life. And this goes for all Christians. In Genesis 4 verse 7, it says, Sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. So God actually gives us that power. He actually says we can rule over it because He gives us that power. Sin was going to keep coming after us and keep chasing after us because its desire is that the enemy's desire is to pull us into sin and to bring us into destruction and to stop us from inheriting the kingdom of God. But God gives us the power through the Holy Spirit to bring those things under control, to bring those things into submission to God so that we can rule over it. For some, self-control looks like submitting to the will of God and having the desire for marriage and entering into a, um, and those that have a desire for marriage enter into a heterosexual marriage. For some, that looks like lifelong celibacy and lifelong singleness. And I want to be really clear: it's really possible to have a rich and fulfilling life as a single person. I think that we do a disservice. I think a lot of people's issues in this area with encouraging same-sex attracted people into celibacy and singleness as we go, that's not fair. They can't have a family. They can't get married if that's how they want to live, blah, blah, blah. We're really diminishing singleness. And I feel like that's so wrong because what about the widow and the widower? What about the divorcee in church? What about the person who's never been married and never been in a relationship? Does that mean that they are not worthy of God? Does that mean they can't live a rich and fulfilling relationship with God? Like throughout their life, they can't live a great life for Jesus and fulfill their purpose if they're not married. We need to actually look at both things. And we really need to, both singleness and marriage are both a gift and are both great things. And you can live a rich and fulfilling life either way. You know who the greatest single person was that ever walked the earth? Jesus. Jesus. So if we're gonna diminish singleness, we're gonna diminish the life that Jesus lived. You know, it is possible to live a rich and fulfilling life life that way. And whether you are in a marriage or whether you are single, you will struggle with the temptation of sexual sin. It's not going to change it. It's not going to cure it. It's not going to make it all better just because you get married. If it was an issue before, it's still going to be an issue when you're married. So we can't look at it like a cure-all situation either. It's about bringing those things under the power of God, under the submission of Christ. We need to speak the truth. So the truth is one, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Number two is that God calls us to flee from sexual sin. And one of those is homosexuality, not attraction, but lust or participating in a same-sex relationship. Number three is marriage was designed for between one man and one woman. We see this in Genesis 2, 24 and all throughout the Bible. 
And there is multiple scriptures that demonstrate this, but I won't get into that today. Number four, if you do not marry, if that's not God's plan for your life or it's His plan for you later down the track, you can still live a very rich and rewarding life and fulfil the call of God on your life. Singleness is not a punishment, but a gift. Number five, there is redemption for all people, whatever you've done in your past, whatever your struggles, whatever your attractions or temptations. Psalm 130 verse 7 says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy and with Him is abundant redemption. Jesus saves, Jesus restores, Jesus redeems, Jesus heals. He takes what's broken and makes it whole. He breaks the bondages of addiction. He breaks the bondages of things that we've been living through for our whole life, things that are holding us down. Jesus breaks that. He has the power over all of that and we just need to come to Him. We need to stop thinking like the world and putting on the mindset of the world, but we need to put on the mind of Christ is that all things are possible with my God is that I want to live a life not for myself and to fulfil the desires of my flesh, but to fulfil the desires of the Spirit, to fulfil what God wants for my life. I want to devote my whole life to that. And it doesn't matter. I'm not going to identify myself by a sexuality. I'm not going to live my life for that kind of relationship. I'm going to live my life for Jesus. And that is going to be the most fulfilling and rewarding life. And that's what we need to understand as believers. And that's the message we need to share with the world as well. So I just want everyone in this place just to close your um, eyes and uh, I've got a few things to ask you today. But the first and most important one is, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Because that's the starting point. That's the most important thing. If you want to live a full and rich and fulfilling, purpose-filled life, you need a relationship with Jesus. If you want salvation, you need Jesus. He is the only way. You cannot clean yourself. You cannot wash yourself. You cannot make yourself right with God unless you have Jesus and receive the gift of His salvation that He died on the cross for and shed His blood for you. So if that's you today and you want a relationship with Jesus, you want to know Him, I just encourage you as everyone's eyes closed and head bowed just for privacy, just so you can have this reflection moment. I just encourage you just to lift your hand in this place and love to pray with you. And maybe also you've had a relationship with Jesus, but you feel like you're on a bit of rocky ground. Maybe you've walked away from that relationship. Maybe you don't feel secure in that relationship right now. This is also an opportunity for you if you want to come back to Jesus. I encourage you to lift your hands. Awesome. So good. I'm going to pray that prayer of salvation just with everyone's eyes closed. If you didn't, raise your hands. And you still want to pray that? Pray it from your heart. God still hears you. Hands not magical. It's just a declaration. So just everyone together, can you just repeat after me? Dear Jesus, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you love me so much that you gave your life for me. I believe that you died on the cross for all the wrong things that I've done. My sin. I believe that you rose again to give me eternal life. I ask you today to come into my life, to be my Lord, which means I'll follow you, and to be my Saviour, which means I'm set free. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 